Hi, and welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. This is Dr. Sadaf Lodi, and I would love for you to leave me a review of this podcast and also to share and like it and share it with your friends, see what they think and let me know. I would love to shout you out on social media. And also, I would love for you to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Sadaf OBGYN, as well as TikTok. I also have started a YouTube channel at Dr. Sadaf Intimacy Coach. I'd love for you to follow me on all of those channels. And most importantly, I'd love for you to become a patient. I am now accepting telehealth patients for sexual health as well as menopause health in New York and Michigan. So if you are a woman that is looking for a doctor that understands you and can actually take the time to listen to all of your concerns, reach out to me. Reach out at drsadaf at drsadaf.com. And I would love to see you as a patient. And now for the episode. I am an American board certified OBGYN, a mom, a Muslim, and I'm talking about sex. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sadaf Lodi, and this episode is everything you need to know about chronic pain and intimacy. But before I get into it, I just want to make one thing very clear, and that is I am not giving any type of medical advice. So if you're having issues with pain or pelvic pain or any of those things, please speak with your healthcare provider. And if you have any questions about your religion, please speak with your friendly neighborhood religious leader. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast, because I just happen to be a Muslim woman that talks about sex. So today I am super excited to welcome onto the podcast Dr. Ruth Thornton. And Dr. Ruth comes to us from California. So Dr. Ruth, if you could introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers, that'd be great. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm uh, Dr. Ruth Thornton. I am board certified in physical medicine rehab or otherwise called uh, physiatry, as well as in holistic and integrative medicine. Um, as a physiatrist, I, I see a lot of different things, not just chronic pain, but I did start uh, last year uh, telehealth practice, uh, coaching health coaching practice um, specifically for chronic pain. It's called Chronic Pain Rescue because I do feel that population, it, it's a big population um, and they don't have to suffer the, the, the way that they do. So, um, you know, my goal is to help people go from chronic pain to pain free. That's fantastic. There are definitely a lot of people that suffer from chronic pain. So you are bringing so much value to these patients because, you know, it's been very hard for them, I'm sure, to find practitioners that believe their pain, right? That's a lot of times we have that issue. And then those that are equipped to actually deal with that pain and then offer solutions that not necessarily are only medications, right? So that's fantastic that you do integrative medicine with it. So maybe you could tell us a little bit more about the types of uh, pain that you see and that you deal with and how that affects intimacy. Sure, sure. Well, um, I know chronic pain is a big catch-all word. I mean, some people have a generalized pain, maybe um, it's a diabetic neuropathy pain. Uh, some, a lot of people suffer from neck pain 
or back pain. It may be um, what they call radicular pain, like a pinched nerve. That's the pain's traveling to the arm, the leg. Um, so I do see those uh, with arthritis pain. And there's, of course, we know there's different types of arthritis, but um, you know, it might be knee, shoulder, hands, um, feet, <laughs> you know, um, ankles, any joint, basically. Um, hips. Uh, so I do, I do treat all of it. I feel that even though, you know, the specifics are different, uh, there's certain mechanisms that are, or physiology that's, that's the same, um, based on where chronic pain comes from. We know that chronic pain, um, involves a hypersensitization of our nervous system, both peripheral and central nervous system, where there's chronic inflammation, and um, those factors uh, that, that that drive pain, um, things like uh, heightened stress levels. Obviously, if you're in pain, it does cause cause stress. But the problem is, there's it's sort sort of like your system's on a on a wheel. It's a, a broken broken system, so it, it continues to put out these factors, continue putting out putting out these stress hormones. Um, so people have difficulty sleeping, um, their appetite is interfered with, and obviously their libido and their sex life uh, is interfered with. Um, so my my goal is that in addition, it's fine if they need procedures. It may be fine if they need medications, if it's not being abused, not harming them. But uh, there, are assist, there are things that can be done um, holistically to help to decrease their stress level, uh, decrease their inflammation, and um, help to get their bodies back in alignment with what it, it should be doing so that um, any other interventions they do work, work better. You know, so yeah. um, when you ask about uh, sex, I, I, uh, that's really not my department, I'll be honest, but I think it's important. I really do. And um, sometimes sometimes people come and, and will still mention it. I find women don't mention it as much. And do you work with both men and, and women or? No. So as a gynecologist, I specifically work with women. Right. Um, and, you know, there are issues, but I would imagine that, you know, for anyone experiencing pain, especially chronic pain, that would really affect how they see themselves, their body image, mm -hmm. and can mm -hmm. perhaps lead to depression. And yes. we know that medications that are used for depression often will affect libido and, and sex drive, and also can affect arousal. And so all of those things definitely can affect um, intimacy, physical intimacy specifically, but also if you're not feeling well, or if you're feeling depressed, then that, that can also affect your emotional intimacy. So I can definitely see how chronic pain can affect relationships. Right, right. And, you know, different uh, people, couples can, can address it um, in, in different ways, um, maybe a different positioning that it's going to be comfortable for the one suffering from chronic pain so that they can enjoy um, and, and participate in that. Um, uh, maybe just making sure they're, you know, as, as before any activity, you know, you take your pain pills um, um, to, to do that. Uh, and sometimes people just find other ways to pleasure uh, with one another that maybe, um, you know, besides uh, actual intercourse, there's other things that they can do that, that will uh, 
sexually satisfy, even if it's it's not the actual act. I'm making sense. <laughs> so yes, absolutely, absolutely. So you know, and and you're absolutely right. So when patients have chronic pain, and say somebody is experiencing back pain and things like that, they definitely want to experiment with different positions. Uh, in the acts of physical intimacy, such that, you know, their back pain isn't being aggravated every time or something like that. And um, like you're talking about, you know, there's so many different aspects of intimacy that we can get into and that we, uh, that I've also spoken about before. But, um, you know, specifically when you deal with patients that are having chronic pain and uh, issues as such, what do you offer them in terms of, say, like your holistic practice or your integrative medicine practice? Right, right. I always start, I always start with an anti-inflammatory diet. I just think, you know, you want to make your body as anti-inflammatory as possible. And that's not just what medications, um, that's also what foods you eat, what drinks you drink. Uh, a lot of people don't realize how inflammatory sugar is. It is a mm -hmm. huge inflammatory. Uh, it causes inflammation and with, there's so much sugar in our diets and high wow. fructose corn syrup, which they use in almost everything. You can read mm -hmm. the boxes. Um, sometimes they only put corn syrup or syrup solids or something like that. It's high fructose corn syrup. It does not occur naturally in nature and our bodies react to it with inflammation. It's, you know, infl they are inflammatory process is part of our immune system process. So that, because it's not naturally occurring, it's going to cause trigger inflammation and therefore you can have more pain. Um, so I always start with that, an anti-inflammatory diet. Are you drinking enough water? A lot of people, most of us don't drink enough water. I know I have to work on drinking enough water. Um, that helps decrease inflammation, that helps pull, uh, clear out the impurities and toxins in our body. So you know, it's important. Getting enough sleep is important. Um, exercise, even if um, all you can do maybe is stretching, because a lot of times people, their muscles are shortened because they're not moving. And with them being shortened, it, it hurts to move. And yet that's what your body needs. It's what those joints need. So just, you know, gently you know, kind of increasing their movement. Maybe if, if they have pain with walking, just try walking five minutes in your house, you know, just as to get you started. So, you know, hopefully bit by bit, you can tolerate doing more. So those are, so those are some basic things, obviously yeah. decreasing stress, you know, that might be my meditation. There's, there's a lot of different things to help with that. So. Yeah, I think that's, um, you know, so important what you just mentioned about an anti-inflammatory diet. I know you talked about decreasing um, sugar. What are other things that people could do to decrease uh, inflammation in their bodies? I hear that people talk about milk, dairy. Right, right. Yeah, a lot of people, um, and they may not know it. You know, you don't know it until you re remove it from your diet and see, you know, especially removing it for at least... 21 days or so, get it really out of your system and reintroducing it to see how your body responds to it. But yeah, dairy is a common one, especially as people get older. You know, they we don't have the enzymes. Many people as we're older don't have the enzymes to break down the milk um, or the dairy products. And so you it could be inflammatory for you. Um, also gluten. Um, the wheat that we eat today is different from I don't know, 40 years ago, uh, because they, in order to make it uh, 
hardier to stand up against pests, etc. They genetically altered our wheat. Um, so most of the wheat that we have um, doesn't occur again. It's been around, but it's not what's naturally occurring and you, your body may be sensitive to it. You know, we call them food sensitivities. Um, so some people really, they can't eat gluten. Um, they, they, they can't eat dairy. Uh, and just having, uh, trying to have less um, processed foods is helpful. Um, yeah. You know, I know that people like hot dogs and, and, you know, things like that. Those are highly processed foods. Sure. You know, sure. so, um, you, you know, all the preservatives and everything, those are like, if you see a lot of words that you can't read, <laughs> most likely, <laughs> you know, not to pronounce that. Yeah, that's not a good sign and not a, a good thing to eat. Right. Of course, you know, this is our diets. This is a standard American diet, which is sad. Um, so I, I definitely recommend kind of being practical about it, being um, gradual about it. You know, you're, sure. you're not going to probably change overnight, but you certainly what you add is, is more, I think more important than what you take away, you know, um, for someone that doesn't eat vegetables, you know, hardly ever, ever eats fruit, add the fruit and vegetables, whatever you still do, please eat these because they're going to help you. Yeah. Right, right. And that makes sense, right? So if we know that inflammation is what's causing the chronic pain, if we try to take away things that cause inflammation, we're going to hopefully decrease that pain and that chronic pain. Which Absolutely. Often and I've seen that. Mm -hmm. I've seen that happen a lot. Even people don't, real, they just don't realize the things that we say are comfort foods, you know, our donuts or, you know, um, mac and cheese, whatever, <laughs> you know, yeah. we're, they, they, they comfort us, but at the same time, they're actually making us worse. And when we remove those things from our diet, we actually feel better, you know? Mm. So, um, I've, I've seen that with many, many people that, yeah, just, just that diet change, they feel better. Their body, um, is able to heal and, and they have less pain. Sure, sure. So you had mentioned in terms of, you know, what patients, um, can do to decrease, the inflammation in their diet. So you said about diet and exercise and things like that. Um, what are the common ailments that you see? I know you mentioned back pain. Is there anything specifically with women that you see? Do you often see women that have a lot of like pelvic pain, um, chronic pelvic pain, endometriosis, any of those things? Do you see that in your practice? Um, I've seen them, but I have not seen them frequently. Um, I, I have treated women with endometriosis in the past. Um, yeah, uh, pelvic inflammatory disease that's sure. there, but, um, yeah, it's been, it's been some time. I have seen them though. Yeah. Sure. 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 And then have you noted that, you know, once patients start to feel better with management of their chronic pain, that their relationships start to improve, they start to feel better. What is the uh, transformation that your patients typically will see once they start incorporating these ideas and changes that you've suggested? Oh, yeah, they feel definitely feel better, um, not only in terms of the fact that they have less pain, but yeah, they just have a better mood, better outlook on life. You know, they're able to do more of the things that they like to do, and that makes them feel better. You know, yeah. um, they're able to, 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 have a better self-image as you, you were mentioning, you know, just 
being able to beautify themselves, you know, to look the way they they want to look and, and also, you know, feel that way as well. You know, um, those those uh, good feelings are important. They're important to for your health, to be honest. So um, when they when they can have less pain, even if it's not totally pain free, just having less pain and add, you know, making themselves look the way they want to look, um, doing the things they like to do. It, it helps all around. It's it's an interesting thing. Our bodies are, we are not just our bodies. We are not just our minds. We are not just our emotions. You know, we're, as they say, we're spirit beings <laughs> in, a, in a physical world. Um, all of those things work together. And, and when we're ill, we should address the whole self. Just like when we're well, maintaining the wellness means not just maintaining our physical wellness, but but our, our spiritual wellness, our, our emotional wellness, our mental wellness. So all those are important. Right. So I know that sometimes, um, so as uh, OBGYNs, we see something called uh, vulvodynia and vestibulodynia, which is sometimes patients can have pain in their vulvar area and uh, even at the opening uh, of the vagina. And uh, a lot of times, you know, patients that can be a result of, say, like a chronic infection or severe allergic reaction. And I know that oftentimes patients may ask for treatments for those type of things. Um, I'm not sure if you see that, but oftentimes what we'll recommend is, you know, of course, making sure that there's no infection, but also then uh, sometimes they say that antidepressants and anti-seizure meds can also uh, decreased pain going to the brain. And so I know that you talked a lot about uh, chronic pain and how the nervous system is overstimulated. Do you ever use that? Uh, do you ever use like antidepressants or anything like that to help patients who are experiencing chronic pain um, to help decrease those signals going to the brain? Yes, yes, I have. I definitely have. And, and uh, certain ones, um, maybe if they're also having trouble sleep, some of them will help with the pain as well as help them sleep. Um, so I, I kind of lean towards those if, if they're having trouble sleeping as well. Um, the anti-seizure medications, um, I use a lot. <laughs> I do use a lot. Now, obviously this isn't about my coaching practice because I'm unless they're in, unless they reside in California, I'm licensed to practice medicine in California, but I, I definitely can make recommendations. They can speak with their own doctor if they don't live in the state of California. But um, yeah, I use them. And then sometimes um, people will say, well, I tried that, but then um, the dose wasn't the, the, the accurate dose. And once we got them to yeah. the correct dose, they got the pain relief, you know? Right. So um, yeah, yeah, I use them. Yeah. No, that's what great. about what about you with with the vulvodynia that you're mentioning? Right. So sometimes what we will recommend is uh, topical anesthetic. So for example, lidocaine. So what they can do is they can dip a cotton ball in lidocaine, and of course they would have to get that lidocaine probably prescribed from their 
um, physician, I would think. But uh, so you can prescribe that and um, dip a cotton ball in and then leave that uh, leave that cotton ball inside of the vagina right at the opening mm -hmm. and to decrease uh, penetrative pain that sometimes patients may have if they've had a history of chronic fungal infections that can mm -hmm. cause the pain and that can desensitize those pain receptors. I sometimes the also um, patients can use capsaicin mm -hmm. uh, cream, which is, you know, capsaicin is what it's, gives like pepper. pepper. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. So there's a cream and you'd have to go to a buy to a compounding pharmacy to get this. And what you can do is you can also apply that cream to the opening of the vagina if that's where their pain is and um, use that. And it usually takes a few weeks, but the, what that does is it decreases the receptors that cause pain. Mm -hmm. But what studies have shown is that once the cream is stopped, so if people are no longer applying the cream, then that pain can come back. Mm. And last resort is to actually have surgery on that part of uh, the vestibule that's causing pain and um, to have those nerve endings, part of that uh, removed so that those nerve endings are no longer there causing oh, the pain. Okay. And, well, geez, I'm, I'm asking, you're, you're asked, I'm supposed to be listed being asked, but <laughs> I'm, I'm asking, what about those people with uh, menopausal? Because, uh, you know. Yes, no, absolutely. So definitely. So what happens is that um, women that are menopausal typically have what we call genitourinary syndrome of menopause. So you get like that vaginal dryness, you get the vaginal atrophy, you get um, some of the, um, you can even have shortening of the vagina that happens as a function of the decreased estrogen that happens with menopause. Mm -hmm. And so the way that we prevent those things, and you can have recurrent UTIs um, in menopause. And so the way that we uh, prevent that is we ask patients to take vaginal estrogen. And what that'll do is it'll help to um, bring back that tissue. And that um, also it, it helps with the elasticity of the vagina. So um, not only would we recommend for women that are menopausal if they haven't, if they don't have intercourse, uh, penetrative intercourse, um, then what we'd recommend is not only the vaginal estrogen to help with that tissue quality and the atrophy that they experience, mm -hmm. uh, but also women can use dilators to help stretch out that vagina um, to increase that elasticity also in that vagina. So yes, absolutely for women. Uh, and that is a very common cause of pain yeah. in women that are premenopausal and postmenopausal because of the decreased estrogen and the decreased lubrication. Mm -hmm. And if somebody, for whatever reason, really there are very few um, contraindications to vaginal estrogen. And in fact, I've heard somebody say, you know, a history of cancer, but I mean, most, um, and I'm actually studying for, <laughs> to become a menopause practitioner, but um, I don't remember any offhand contraindications to taking vaginal estrogen because it's, it's localized and it's not systemic. So it's not going throughout the whole body. Right. And 
and it is helping that tissue right there in that place. And it's so important for women to use vaginal estrogen to prevent all of like the loss of the rugae, the loss of that elasticity, you know, the thinning of that tissue of the vagina. So all of those things can be prevented with vaginal estrogen. And it's so important really even to start during perimenopause. And, and what about the women that are sexually active and have those symptoms because I think they probably don't want to use the vaginal estrogen or at least maybe, I don't know if they time it differently. Well, yep. Yep. So what you can do is the vaginal estrogen is applied and it's usually one gram. And so it's like really about the amount of just like your index finger and you don't, you can use the cream or there are tablets or there's actually a ring called Vagifem. So it doesn't have to be messy. If you don't want it to be that cream that gets mm-hmm. all over, you okay. can use, there are different forms of vaginal estrogen okay. that are, you know, definitely women can use and, um, that are user-friendly if, mm-hmm. you know, if that's something that you're worried about. But I would absolutely recommend vaginal estrogen to anyone over the age of 45. I mm-hmm. mean, it, it helps significantly mm-hmm. and with the vaginal dryness. And if women for some reason don't want to use that vaginal estrogen, you can definitely use a moisturizer. Vaginal, um, There are vaginal moisturizers that mm-hmm. again, help with lubrication and they're meant to be used two to three times a week And again, it'll help with the lubrication. Um, You can use a lubricant, but lubricants are very temporary. They're for used during intercourse. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not for long-term use. They don't really do anything for the tissue quality. Right. Whereas like a moisturizer will help with the tissue quality. And, but the best thing really is vaginal estrogen. Okay. Really. And they would have to see an OBGYN or someone of that nature. Somebody that can prescribe the vaginal estrogen. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be about, uh, you know, an OBGYN, it could be any provider that's willing to, you know, give them. And really, I don't see why any provider would hold back on giving vaginal estrogen to mm-hmm. women, especially because, you know, it's so needed as women approach midlife mm-hmm. and beyond. Yeah, so really important uh, for them. And it helps with, you know, the pain and uh, the pain that they may have with the intercourse. Right, right. And I just, what is your opinion on the, um, Oh, the identical, bioidentical estrogens? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know what we say, so the, according to the American College of OBGYNs, you know, Mm -hmm. they don't really recommend bioidenticals because bioidenticals, there's no FDA regulation and we don't know the amount of estrogen or say progesterone that are in the creams or in the, usually bioidenticals, they're they're typically creams or, you know, something that you can rub on and things like that. Um, Or they can be oral tablets, I guess, as well. But we just don't know because they're not FDA regulated and we don't have like trials and research on those that are done. And so that's why the American College of OBGYNs typically does not recommend you know, bioidentical hormones that we don't have data on. There are, you know, we do have um, micronized progesterone, which is a bioidentical. And we do have estradiol um, tablets that um, you can take that are bioidenticals that are FDA regulated. And also um, there is the patch, um, estrogen patch, which is the um, safety profile on the patch is even better 
than the oral tablet. And so because you don't have that first pass effect that goes through the liver. And so the estrogen patch is even better. Um, So if, and if women have an IUD, so, you know, women that we know that have a uterus will need, they can't just take estrogen by themselves. They can't have unopposed estrogen. They always need to have a progesterone if they have a uterus. Mm -hmm. And so um, if they have, say, for example, a Mirena IUD or an IUD that contains progesterone, then all they need is the estrogen patch mm-hmm. and then you're covered. So you have something that protects the uterus and um, you have the estrogen for the, all the other benefits. And estrogen helps with everything. It helps because we have estrogen receptors throughout our whole body. Mm-hmm. We have estrogen receptors, you know, for our hair and our skin and you know, in our brain. And so, you know, a lot of women, uh, you know, there's often jokes made that, you know, that, oh, I forgot what I was going to do and things like that. Right. And that's true because women will get that brain fog in perimenopause and in menopause. And so the estrogen actually helps prevent that and it makes a significant difference. So, you know, I'm a complete advocate for hormone therapy for women, because Mm -hmm. I think that the benefits, you know, outweigh the risks. And what happened, I think, is that in 2002, when the WHI study came out, Mm -hmm. um, telling us about, you know, what they felt were the risks of hormone therapy, there was a whole generation of OBGYNs that then felt very scared, including myself, to give Mm -hmm. out hormone therapy to women because we didn't want to cause any problems, right? Mm -hmm. We didn't want to induce um, like stroke or blood clots or anything like that and mm-hmm. or breast cancer, right? That was always the fear that you don't want to give hormone therapy because, you know, a patient might get breast cancer. And now we know that those results were taken out of context and that actually hormone therapy. And so the North American Menopause Society, which I believe now has changed their name to Menopause Society, completely says that, you know, hormones are safe and especially within the first 10 years of menopause. Mm-hmm. They suggest, and now, you know, there's some thought that maybe they don't even say to do it for the shortest amount of time. But in my readings, what I found is that they do say to use the lowest dose for the shortest amount of time, but that women can take hormones and that it's safe and that, you know, if they need it, they should have it. So really important. Okay. That's good to know. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. I don't know if you have any more questions for me. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, I'm curious to find out uh, in terms of like the transformations that patients get when they work with you, you know, do you find that their relationships have improved, that their mood has improved, you know, and what are the biggest changes that patients find once their pain has been managed if not completely relieved. Right. Well, like I said, they, you know, they're just happy to be able to do the things that they weren't able to do, even if it's something mundane, like taking care of their home, um, being able to take care of their kids, you know, having the energy to spend time with their spouse, you know, spend time going and doing things with their family. Um, so yeah, they, they definitely, um, they definitely have a better, just a better outlook on life, you know, getting their lives back, really. Absolutely. Getting their lives back. Yeah. Fantastic. So, well, for anyone listening and um, somebody that's thinking that, you know, they are experiencing chronic pain and would like a more holistic and integrative approach to management of their chronic pain, how can patients or clients find you and where can they reach out to you and get help? 
Sure. Anyone uh, that uh, is interested in working with me or you know someone that should work with me, uh, my website is Chronic Pain Rescue, you know, www.chronicpainrescue.com. I'm also on Facebook at Chronic Pain Rescue, Instagram, YouTube, Pinterest, because uh, I, I post um, information that, that uh, I hope people can use. Uh, they can sign up on my website for a scheduled an online appointment. You know, I'll see you in your home. Um, and I also, if you're not sure you're ready to, you know, work with me, but you're interested in learning if I would be someone that could help you, I have three uh, free 30-minute um, uh, phone consultations that they also can go on, on social media uh, to sign up for. Well, that is fantastic. So many great ways to work with you. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Thornton. And well, I am done here and it's been real and really intimate. And remember, this is not meant to be any type of medical advice. So if you are suffering from chronic pain, please speak with your healthcare provider. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast. So thank you for listening to the podcast and make sure you leave us a review, share and like the podcast. And if you leave me a review, I'd love to shout you out on social media. So be sure that you share it with all your friends and thanks for listening.